And we looked at uh, Jesus' prayer uh, found in the Gospel of Matthew. We have looked at a couple of Paul's prayers. Uh, We want to continue to look at one of Paul's prayers this morning from Philippians chapter 1. And my hope isn't so much that we just learn how to pray, but um, I I hope we learn, um, you know, when he talks about the attitude of prayer in that catechism, that, um, that, that that's what would motivate us. I'll explain a little bit more. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus um, says this. I think it's important in, in context of what we're, we're, we're looking at this morning. Matthew 22, verses 37. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, for example, when when, uh, we think of the Ten Commandments and we think that we're to have no other gods before the Lord, um, Jesus summarizes that we're to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, all our strength, all our being. We're to love Him. That's a summary of the law. When it says we should not lie, we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Now, the Apostle Paul, interestingly, in in the passage that Jeff read, uh, Philippians chapter 1, says this in verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And so what he's actually praying for is, would, would these people do what Jesus said is a summary of the law? Now what's interesting is the Philippians, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes this letter near the end of his life, and in this letter he says a lot of things. He, he actually is thanking them, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. These people were people who had shown love and were showing love, and Paul was one of the recipients of that love. Philippians 1.6. When we get to chapter 2, we begin to realize that these people actually sent somebody from their church to the Apostle Paul while he was in prison to take care of his needs, Epaphroditus. And Paul is grateful for that. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about a couple of occasions where they actually sent money to help him. So it seems like with Epaphroditus, there was money, there was uh, probably some blankets, whatever he needed while he was chained in prison. But Paul says, I'm, I'm grateful for the way you even provided for me when I was in Thessalonica. So this is the Apostle Paul saying, you are a people who have loved. And I'm thankful for that. Still the same, the Apostle Paul says, this is how I pray for you, that your love may abound more and more. This morning, um, I I hope we learn how to pray for our children, how we pray for our grandchildren, how we ought to pray for each other, how we ought to pray for our spouses, how we ought to pray for our neighbors. I think Paul is uh, giving us a picture of what prayer is. D.A. Carson, in his small commentary on the book of Philippians, divides verses 9 through 11 by saying there are three features of prayer. I'm going to use his outline. 
There's three features of Paul's prayer here. First off, Paul prays for their love. That's the content of the prayer. And, and he says, I pray that your love would abound more and more, that it would grow, that it would overflow. This is how Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3 and 2 Thessalonians 1. We saw this a few weeks back. But what I see in that is the Apostle Paul recognizes that we as Christians, we never really arrive until the day of Christ. We ought to be people who are continually growing. Paul says this in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 12 of the Philippians. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on and make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me His own. So we haven't arrived at where we're to be growing in Christ. And, and one of the ways Paul prays is that you would grow, that you, the people in Philippi, would grow and your love would abound more and more. But he doesn't say the love for what? Or a love for who? He kind of leaves that blank. And, and I think the context, chapter 2, look at this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Did you catch that? Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so I think Paul in the back of his head is going, I'm praying that you guys would grow, be in one mind, one spirit, and 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 grow in this love and so when he's talking about that their love may abound i think he's saying that your their love may abound for each other and it would begin to overflow now that's not completely uh disconnected from their love for god because in chapter 1 verse 8 paul says this for god is my witness how i yearn for you all with the affection of christ jesus what's the motivation of our love it ought to come from what God has done for us. But Paul is praying that they would love each other. That would grow and grow. So, how about us? I, I think there's a, just, a, just a subtle, maybe not so subtle. The Apostle Paul is like, I haven't arrived yet. And I don't think you guys have either. And so I'm going to pray that you would grow in this love. And is this how we pray? Like if, if, if Jesus says the summary of the law is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, if that's the summary of the law, then can there be anything more important than that? You can answer if you want. Can there be anything more important than that? Like, that's what he calls us to. He says that's the summary of the law. We're to love one another. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And so when we pray for each other, we should be praying that we grow in that. And that's what Paul's doing. And so when you pause to pray for your spouse, Paul's giving us a hint of how we should pray. When we, when we pause to uh, pray for each other in this room. And I hope we do that. 
We have to pray that our love would abound. Now, the second feature of uh, this prayer that Paul talks about is not only about love, but, but that love seems to grow in a soil. And he uses the language, look at verse 9, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Some translations say in knowledge and all insight. In. The context in which that love is to flourish and grow and, and produce, there's a soil. This is not a sentimental love. I, oh, I feel something for you. This is a love that is, that is rooted in knowledge. What kind of knowledge is he talking of? The knowledge of what? The knowledge of who? Hosea, this uh, past week, if you've been uh, following along in the, in a, the uh, chronological Bible reading that uh, Tom has put together, Hosea says this, he says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He's talking to the nation of Israel. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. Sorry, I'm in chapter 6. I should be in chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. That sounds better, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. So he's talking to the nation of Israel and he says, there's no faithfulness here and there's no love, no steadfast love. And then he goes on, and no knowledge of God in the land. And he connects those two. The reason there's no, lo there's no steadfast love and there's no faithfulness because there's no knowledge of God. In verse 6 of chapter um, 4, he writes, he my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you've rejected knowledge. The Apostle Paul, in the chapter that we're dealing with, Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, this is his passion, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul's passion it's to know Jesus. And it's in knowing Jesus that we understand and can grow in love. He actually does that in chapter 2 of Philippians. If you've got your Bible, I, I encourage you to grab it and look at it and point at it because it's in chapter 2 he says this. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then he goes on in verse 6, he says this. And who though, talking about Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in all the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Do you, see what, do you see what Paul's doing here? I think the church in, in Philippi, it was a church that had expressed and shown love in different ways, but it was a church that needed to grow in love. These were people who had shown love to one another, but they needed to grow in love, much like us. Us. 
much like me. And so the Apostle Paul actually will later on go, you know what, there's the two ladies in the church, Judea and Syntyche, that aren't agreeing. You can see that in chapter 4. He seems to paint a picture that there's some disunity among the church. They're not getting along for whatever reason. And he's trying to teach them that they need to humble themselves and they're supposed to put others, uh, others ahead of themselves. Uh, uh, themselves. And, and the way he does that is he points to Jesus. He says, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me give you some knowledge about Jesus. Let me understand, help you understand who God is. Who is God? God sent His Son. He stepped out of heaven. He did not consider equality with God something to be hung on to. But He took on the form of a servant. He took on the form of human flesh. He emptied Himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he says, as you begin to grapple with and understand who God is, you begin to grow and understand how you ought to love. It should motivate us. It should shape us. We can't love without knowledge. And not knowledge about butterflies, but a knowledge about who God is and what God has done. A knowledge of the good news, the gospel. A knowledge, that's why we sing of what we sing of today. The blood of the cross what He's done for us. Because that shapes, and that's the soil in which, which this love will grow within us. Now, He uses another word. He says, he says, with knowledge and all discernment, or I said, in knowledge and in discern, uh, insight, all insight. That word that He uses here is the only place in the New Testament that we find that word in the original language. However, it is used often in the book of Proverbs, in the Greek translation of Proverbs. And it's a word that, that kind of speaks of a wisdom. Let me read um, what one scholar actually wrote. It's a, it's, it, it's a word that speaks of it's a necessary for human relationships where it must distinguish between good and evil and judge accordingly. The Apostle Paul is saying, I, I hope you don't just have knowledge of who God is, and, uh, but, but this love that you have should also have an understanding of people. So not only an understanding of God, but an understanding of people. There needs to be a, a, a way where that love ought to be expressed. And, and, and so he's praying that they would grow in their understanding of how to express that love. Apostle Paul does it. Well, we see different pictures of it. The, the, uh, the Philippians knew that Paul had some needs. He was in prison. And so they wisely sent a person that would encourage Paul and sent finances that would actually put food and give, so he could get some food so he could eat properly while he was in prison. But Paul actually expresses that love by calling out two individuals, Euodia and Syntyche. Sometimes love means we need to say hard things to people. And Paul does that. But don't we sometimes need to know how to do that or when to do that? Sometimes love ought to be expressed with a hug. 
Other times, love ought to be expressed with the word of encouragement. Sometimes love needs to be expressed in saying something difficult and hard to somebody because nobody else is going to. But it, it, and so when Paul prays this way, he's praying, I'm asking that God would just cause your love to grow and flourish and just blossom, but that, would, that, it, would, that it would happen in the soil of a knowledge of who God is, of who Jesus is, of what Jesus has done, but it would, would also come with this incredible insight ability to understand where people are at. And so for us to love, we need to know Christ and we need to know people if love is going to abound more and more. This is not the end. The last feature that Paul has in this prayer is he gives us the purpose of his prayer. Why does he pray for love to abound more and more? Does he just want this one big happy family? Is that kind of his goal? Well, I think that's part of it, but look at verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul lives life with this eternal perspective. And it's the only way that makes sense of Paul. Is because Paul's at this point, he's, he's near the end of his life, he's actually chained to a guard, and you would think that he would be moaning and groaning about all his pains and aches and the lack of food and how cold it is down there and all of those types of things. And you think if he was writing letters, he would be telling everybody else how tough he has it. But that's not what Paul's doing. Paul's actually writing a letter to encourage the people in that church, and, and he's praying for those people, and, and he's praying that their love would abound. And he's thanking God for them. And, he, and like he got a, he's got a completely different perspective. But throughout this book, he keeps talking about the day of Christ. He's got this picture of the future. He's got this vision of the future, and he's moving somewhere. And so he's got an eternal hope. And, 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 and he prays with that eternal hope in mind. Now, first off, he prays, so that you may approve what is excellent. I think what he's doing there, he's just simply saying, I pray that when you love one another, you will know, you'll know what is, not what is good, but what is best. Maybe, maybe what's best is you, you, for you to speak a, harsh, a hard, hard word to somebody because you love them. Maybe what is best is you, you write a note to encourage them. Maybe what is best is you, you, you offer them some, some help financially. Maybe what is best you don't offer them help financially because they need to grow in, in some area. That's one reason why he prays this way. But the second reason he prays this way is that he says this day of Christ is approaching, this last day. And he says, so that you might be pure and blameless. What's he mean there? Let me explain it or try to explain it. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this, he's talking about wives and husbands, and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And so Paul, Paul equates marriage between husband and wife as, as, as the love of Jesus Christ for the, the church, his bride. Okay? And he, and he says that this bride that Jesus is, he's just, Jesus is shaping us and growing us and maturing us so that someday we will be like him, that we will, we will be in white raiment prepared for that wedding day. And he's painted a picture of how our character will change and be shaped and, and, and who we will become. Tim Keller said, uses this in the context of uh, husbands and wives, and he says, um, when you look across the table at your spouse, you ought, to, you ought to not think of them who they are today, but who their glory self will be. What will they be like in front of Christ? Best way to, to, to illustrate this, if you've been in our home, we have this old chair sitting by the fireplace. It's, um, it's an antique. When Lynn brought it from the flea market to her house for 25 bucks, I said, why did you bring that piece of junk home? And she wisely said, it, you, don't look at what it looks like now. Look what it's going to be. Of course, when she bought it, it had these um, flowered, brown flowered prints that was worn and tattered from the 70s. And she said, we'll change, we'll change the fabric. And, we'll, we'll, and, and today it's got leather on there, but the wood was absolutely beautiful. I couldn't see the wood. I just saw the fabric, and I just saw something ugly. And now today it's our, my favorite chair. I love to sit in there and read. It's a beautiful chair. It's just it's all by itself. It's just beautiful just to just look at this thing. But Lynn saw what it could be, what it would be. I couldn't. The Apostle Paul's looking at the church of Philippi. He's not looking at what they are that day. He's looking at what they will be when they stand before God on that day of Christ. And he prays that their love would abound more and more so that they will become. That they will be what they already are in Christ. Do you get the picture? When we pray for each other, do we pray that our love would abound more and more? That it would grow, that it would flourish, that it would overflow, that, that yet we wouldn't be satisfied that we do this lovingly now, but we would grow in love for each other. And, 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 and when we pray, do we pray that, that that love would grow in a knowledge of who God is or so a love would be shaped by God and what God has done and, and, and that that love would be able to be expressed in a way that is just, just perfect and right for the people around us? And do we pray with this eternal perspective that someday we will stand in front of the presence of God no longer having to mature and grow because we will... We will be made right. We will, we will be with Him. We will be in white raiment. We will be completely sanctified. But we're praying to that end. Oh, that has helped me. That, just that picture has helped me love my wife far more. It's helped me to love others far more. The Apostle Paul teaches us to pray like this. You know what? I can't make you love 
each other more and more. I can't, I can't cause you that your love would abound more and more. Love is something that comes from God. God is love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. If I want to see that in you, if you want to see that in each other, if you want to see that in your own life, you, Paul has taught us this is how you ought to pray. This is how we ought to pray. And we do that because of what Christ has done for us. Let me pray. Lord, I, I ask that when we pray that it would just not be mechanical, ritualistic. But Father, I pray that when we pray that we would be a people that are so in love with you and, and so uh, amazed by what you have done for us that out of that we pray for each other. And that we would pray that we would grow to be like you with increasing measure. Father, I pray that as, as we pray, Lord, that we would, we would pray that we would love one another more and more. And that love would actually, with greater clarity, reflect who you are and what you've done and how you've loved us. Give us wisdom, Father, in knowing how to love. Every one of us in this room needs love. Lord, help us to know how to express that in a way that would be honoring to you. Lord, I pray that you teach us to pray like this, but Father, I also pray that you teach us to live like this, and then Father, I pray that you teach us that we live like this because of what you've done for us. You stepped out of heaven. You did not see some equality with God, something to be grasped, but, to, but you emptied yourself and you took on the form of a servant, took on the form of humanity, you, you to the very point of death, death on a cross. Thank you. Would we be consistently and continually motivated in our life, in our prayers, by who you are and what you've done. In your precious name we pray. Amen. As the gentlemen come up to, to lead us in music. I'm not sure if I did that, but I probably am guilty. Every every week we gather around the table and we gather around the table just simply to remember what Christ has done. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've acknowledged your rebellion against your creator, if you, pl if you place your soul trust in the, the bloody crucifixion on the cross some 2,000 years ago, you are welcome to join us around the table. It's here that we're going to remember and give thanks for Jesus' kind work on the cross, and um, it's here that we will look, ar look around at one another and marvel that we can walk this path together with family. And it's here that we're going to long for that day when we're going to be at that marriage supper with, with Jesus. But be warned, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup in the, after the supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then Paul says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that, he may not be con- that we may not be condemned along with the world. Hmm. I say that because Paul says this is not just some magical thing we do. It's, it, we're stopping to remember. And if you're not a believer, there's no shame in just staying put where you're at. Okay? But if you are a believer, and maybe you hold something against someone else, Apostle Paul says, make it right. We just talked about our love abounding more and more. I mean, if that person's here, go take care of it now. Certainly take care of it after the service, but don't come until you take care of it. But, my dear friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, if as far as you know, things are right between you and one another, then they come. And remember what Jesus has done. 